Boston Loose Baseball back for episode 92. We've got some offseason news to discuss. The Nats making some big decisions with their 40-man roster, plus an update on the coaching staff and some of the changes in the front office over the last couple of weeks to kick off the offseason. We've got some thoughts to break down all of those moves and all of the news, and it all starts right now. Bustin' Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball, episode 92. I guess we should reintroduce ourselves after a couple of week respite. Toby Altizer is alongside. I'm Grant Paulson. We'll be keeping you up to speed on everything Nationals all offseason long and then eventually getting back into the grind during the season come the spring. But uh, we wanted to drop a new pod this week because there is a lot of moving and shaking going on for the Nationals. We'll start with the news over the last 24 hours that they've made with their roster decisions, we knew they had a flurry of roster moves that were necessary. So what they decided to do on Monday into Tuesday, and then everyone else found out about it like us on Tuesday, Toby, was they decided that right-handed pitcher Zach Brixey, who we'll talk about, uh, a reliever who missed this season in the minor leagues, right-handed pitcher Cole Henry, a former second-round pick, left-handed pitcher DJ Hers, who they brought over from the Cubs, in the Jamer Candelario deal. Left-handed pitcher Mitchell Parker, who made his way all the way up to the highest level this year, have had their contracts selected. They have been added to the 40-man roster. Meanwhile, Dominic Smith and Corey Abbott, the first baseman and a right-handed pitcher who spent time in the big leagues this year, designated for assignment. Those guys are no longer with the team. And Andres Machado's time in D.C. is done, the right-handed reliever, has been granted his unconditional release. He will pursue opportunities in Japan. So a bevy of moves here to work through. Uh, basically, I guess we should just start, Toby, with some big-picture thoughts as they had to make some decisions with guys like Brixie, Henry, Hers, Parker, some others in the minor leagues on who was going to be Rule 5 eligible, who they were going to protect and keep in their organization. And Hers, their 16th best prospect via pipeline, Henry, number 18, Parker, number 25, Brixie, number 28, all made their way onto the 40-man roster. Yeah, I think you had to do this. I think it made a lot of sense. I think the big thing for Nationals fans that maybe aren't as dialed in on the minor leagues, they're going to be interested in Dominic Smith being DFA'd, and I think that makes sense as well. He's nice to have, and like we talked about all throughout the season, he was a nice security blanket over there at first base defensively to help out with some of the growth of the guys, but I think you saw some of that growth from C.J. Abrams. So now if you put someone over there that – you know, isn't a gold glove type at first base, you'd expect, all right, CJ, you got to figure it out, dude. Like, you know, you've had a full year where you had that security blanket over there. Now see if you can figure it out. So I think, you know, for the big league club, Dominic Smith isn't going to be back. Corey Abbott's not going to be back. But I think it makes a lot of sense for these guys. Cole Henry has been really good. It's just been a health thing. And, you know, I thought he was going to be a starter. Then, you know, obviously he has the thoracic outlet syndrome. So 
He's had that surgery, so maybe he ends up being a middle relief guy or even a late-inning guy. We'll see, but I think Cole Henry's got a lot of potential. Obviously, DJ Hers is someone you got in the deal. You weren't going to just let him walk uh, and someone be able to have that opportunity to take him in the Rule 5 draft, so that obviously makes a lot of sense, and Mitchell Parker as well. Both of those guys, I think, you know, nice to see, have left-handers in the organization that are effective pitchers. So I'm excited to see what these guys can do. Brixie obviously added as well. I think it just makes a lot of sense. It's just some common sense moves, nothing too crazy, but you know, nice to see that they're making the right decisions. Yeah, to start with the guys that they're moving on from, the veteran names that Nats fans saw at the big league level. I mean, in the case of Corey Abbott, he's 28 years old, San Diego, California native, former second-round pick back in 2017 by the Cubs. He actually pitched okay at times. His ERA ended up being about 6.6. He was better than that. Not that that says a lot. His FIP was 5.95. But he had about a strikeout per inning. He had 40 Ks in 39 innings. It's not like he doesn't have any stuff. You saw him in AAA this year punch out almost 70 in 56 innings. So, I mean, this is the kind of guy that is organizational depth. Like, frankly, they'll be looking for a pitcher like him. Uh, He had a... ERA in the fours and AAA in 13 starts before coming up to the major leagues. And it's just good to have guys like that around. But when you're in a roster crunch and you have to protect the young ascending players like hers or Henry or Parker, it's a no brainer that a guy like Abbott is very expendable. And with all due respect to him, there's a lot of guys like him out there. So uh, I think this is not necessarily an indictment that like he's terrible or whatever. He didn't pitch particularly well. But he is the kind of guy in the right role that you want in your organization. That kind of triple-A big league tweener that they've lacked at times. Typically, they have not really had anybody with major league experience at the triple-A level throwing pretty well that they could call up. You know, when he got called up, sometimes it was out of the bullpen. Sometimes it was out of the rotation. Occasionally, it was the you know the night before a, a double uh, you know a doubleheader or something like. It was never that great an opportunity. Uh, that's not an easy way to carve your path in an organization. So uh, thanks for the services. But, yeah, they got bigger fish to fry here, and, and they'll find someone a lot like him. Well, the bigger, and, oh, Go ahead. And the big part about this, Grant, maybe a bigger picture thing, is this is why the Steven Strasburg stuff needs to get figured out. You know, maybe you keep a guy like an Andres Machado, and obviously they're able to make some moves here, and it's not like they're cutting big-time guys or moving on from them or having to trade big-time guys. But in the coming years, you know, you're going to have guys. So you cannot have a guy like Steven Strasburg just taking up a 40-man roster spot when he's not pitching again. I I think we all understand that. And I think Steven Strasburg understands that. Mike Rizzo understands that. So they've got to figure something out here to just finish that stuff off. And, you know, I'm glad that we're not going through a whole saga right now where it's just kind of dragging both, you know, both of them kind of dragging the organization or dragging the player. Like, at least we're kind of done with that. And it just seems like it's settled for now. But at some point, this thing has to get figured out. So that way you have that extra roster spot. Because like you said, a guy like an Andres Machado isn't a sexy reliever, but he is a guy that you need in an organization where if someone goes down on an IL stint, you can call him up or he's the last guy in the bullpen. Like, especially for this Nationals team, you could use that. And instead, it's going to a guy that probably isn't playing baseball ever again. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you one more. We'll get to him when we talk about the minor leagues. But right-hander Andre Lara, who they like and who has not performed to the level that they expected, but is a fringe top 20 prospect for them, did not get protected and is now available to be plucked away. 
Like you're losing a guy who I'm not that high on, to be completely honest. I, I've never really been as in on them as they seem to be. Uh, I've seen him pitch a lot live in the minors. I've never been overly impressed. He's, he looks the part. He's huge. He's got a big body. But, uh, you know, you, you're potentially going to lose him. And, like, would you rather have that guy in your organization to continue to see what he is as a young guy making his way? Of course you would. So, yeah, there's no doubt. They absolutely need a resolution with this Strasburg situation. It makes no sense because – to your point, he is 100% unequivocally never pitching again, and we know that now. There was basically a retirement ceremony planned. There was a you know beginnings of plans to put in motion last year to say goodbye to him. Uh, yeah, it's right now. It, it seems like all is quiet and nobody's yelling at each other. I think it's just because it's a there's a stare down going on right now. Yeah. Right. I mean, whereas Boris and his side are going, well, they they can't just keep him on their 40 man. They've got to do something. And the Nationals are hoping it seems like still that there can be some type of a resolution where, you know, Strasburg and the team can work something out. But the bottom line is to, to what you said, you're a hundred percent right. Tobes. They, they gotta get him off the 40 man roster sooner rather than later. Um, Dominic Smith really quickly. He ended up hitting for more power at the end of the season than in the first half of the year. Like if you look at it, it was funny because I mean, he could not hit any home runs. And then finally in September, somehow managed six home runs after he had five the rest of the baseball season, basically. Uh, but he ended up with 12 for the year. I never really understood why anybody thought he was coming here to hit for power. I mean, this is a guy that did not homer in 140 at-bats in 2022. He had 11 homers in 450 at-bats in 2021. He's never hit more than 11 homers, and then he hit 12 last year, which was a career high. And Nats fans all season long were acting like it was a huge disappointment that he wasn't hitting for more power. Uh there were fewer doubles than I expected. Like his, his 366 slug was on par with 2021 was better than 2022. He definitely slugged higher than that early in his career as a former first round pick. But I just think people didn't really know what he was. I mean, he's a great defensive uh, or good defensive. And at times last year, great super athletic first baseman. He was drafted as one of the elite high school prep first baseman that we'd seen in years. Um, but the offensive profile's never been great. He's a career 245 hitter, uh, over 162 game averages in his career. I would imagine he averages around 10 home runs. So you kind of got what you you paid for, I thought, last season. And people were just out of whack. I mean, you you see a first baseman that that's you know six four, uh, excuse me, six foot and 225 pounds, and you think, well, this guy's going to be a run producer. I mean, that's your fault <laughs> if that's what you were expecting. <laughs> like you you didn't study the back of the baseball card. Having said that. I think you got the year you were looking for. He saved C.J. Abrams bacon from about 15 errors. Uh, he helped the defense in the infield and helped the young pitching staff a lot. And now, hopefully, they go add someone who is going to produce more offense for them at first base, a critical position. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that they're going to have to add someone at first base because Joey Manessis didn't play in the field much this year. But when he did, there was a noticeable difference. Obviously, like we said, Dom Smith is a really good defender, but having Joey Manessis at first base as your option next year, I just don't think is going to cut it, especially with, you know, as much as I want to say that CJ's kind of got to take that next step. So he's not consistently having to be saved by the first baseman. CJ still is going to have some erratic throws. And I don't think Joey can save him or bail him out as many times as Dom Smith did. So I think they're going to have to make a move at first base and figure something out there, but it was nice to see what Dominic Smith did this year. I think, you know, so many people were frustrated with his bat. Understandably so. I mean, like you said, if the expectation was coming in 
that he was going to give you a lot of power. He obviously didn't live up to that, and that never really was who he was. But I think what the Nationals were looking for is exactly what they got from him. So it was a good year for Dom Smith, but I think you can look elsewhere now. Yeah, I mean, look, he just doesn't hit the ball that hard. I mean, you look at, like, exit velocity numbers. He's seventh percentile in baseball. And as a first baseman at his size, that's pretty stunning. You know, low barrel percentage, very very low uh, hard hit percentage. And that's despite a high sweet spot percentage. So th this is just not a guy that the ball jumps off of his bat. Uh, he doesn't swing and miss a lot, 79th percentile. He never strikes out, 88th percentile. Those are good things. He's got great range and makes a lot of plays at first base. Uh, to me, <clears throat> you brought in Dominic Smith, and you basically got the guy he's been for most of his career. So uh, I was fine with the season he gave them. I know people were disappointed, but I, I kind of uh, blame them. You know, if you, if you call me, you're going to get a uh, – you know, a bearded fat guy on the other end of the phone. You can't be that upset about that. Well, you know and he's he, he's another one of those guys where Rizzo brought him in, short-term contract, and hoped, okay, maybe he shows something because he gets consistent playing time here that he hasn't necessarily had as much of with the Mets, and maybe he breaks out. Maybe he shows power, and he's someone that they could have traded. But he didn't, and he showed that he can be a decent glove, and you know, he kind of showed that he's a he's a big leaguer, but he's not going to be an everyday player or he's not going to be a impact player, at least for an organization. And so Rizzo took a shot. He didn't necessarily get everything he wanted because he wasn't able to move him. But at the same point, he got a solid guy that can help with development of the guys across the infield. So, like you said, I think they got exactly what they bargained for. Long gone. All right. So let's get into some of the other guys in more detail then. Uh, specific to the roster decisions that were made to add guys to the 40, uh, starting with DJ Hers, who's been at the Arizona Fall League. In fact, I actually, um, you know, it was cool. I, I, I had him on my baseball show on Sirius XM that deals with prospects, and uh, he told me about his Vulcan changeup being maybe his best pitch at this point. Uh, we had a great conversation about some of his stuff. Uh, look, if you, if you look back to the start of the 2021 season, DJ Hurst leads all of minor league baseball with a 176 uh, opponent batting average. He's second with 13.4 strikeouts per nine innings, minimum of 250 innings, dating back to 2021. So that, that's a sample of, you know, we're looking at three seasons in the minors, and nobody has been better at uh, not allowing hits, and only one person's been better at strikeouts per nine. This is a really nasty left-handed pitcher that they got from the Cubs, I still have my reservations and concerns about if he's going to be a starter or a multi-inning reliever because he does walk a lot of guys, and that has been an issue. Um, and Mitchell Parker, the stuff isn't the same. Like, they're different guys. But Mitchell Parker is an interesting guy who the Nats just added to the 40-man roster. We can get into him in a second. But his numbers in the minor leagues have also been exquisite uh, over the last couple of seasons. So they went with guys who have performed who are decent prospects. In the case of hers. He is 16th in the system right now and ascending. I mean, again, he goes out to the AFL and, and he's getting a lot of swings and misses and turning heads. It's been a really productive season for him since they went and got him from the Cubs. If you look at his numbers, Toby, after he came over to Washington, now I mean, he was pitching well, remember, when they acquired him, but the 22-year-old lefty who in D.C. system pitched exclusively eight starts in double-A, 53 strikeouts in 35 innings and only 20 hits with a 161 average against a 1.1 whip and an ERA of 2.55. Like he was magnificent after they traded for him. 
Yeah, I'm really interested whenever he's in town, I want to go see him pitch because he's someone that, you know, we've talked to various people about him and it's basically the the delivery. His stuff is good, but he's not blowing 98 by guys. Like he's a he's a stuff guy with a funky delivery that allows him to be pretty effective. Now that delivery is also a little bit of a bane to him. That's why he walks so many people, but it's also the reason that guys can't hit him. Like you said, I mean, these numbers are incredible to see how many guys he strikes out, how few guys can get hits off of them. It's about limiting the walks, but I think it's something that hopefully they can get in control a little bit, but it might just be one of those things where you live by the sword, die by the sword, where you get a lot of strikeouts and guys can't see you very well, but you walk guys because of that delivery and you kind of live with it. And in that case, maybe he ends up being a reliever. But again, I think getting a solid guy like that that can help you out and is showing some real promise in the minor leagues. I mean, those numbers you pointed out in those eight starts, incredible for the time that he's been here with the Nationals and then a great fall league to build off of that. It just gives you a lot of hope. And you got that for a guy like a Jamer Candelario who you didn't expect a whole lot going into the season. And then all of a sudden you trade him at the deadline and you get a pitcher like this. So I think, you know, having a guy like hers, is going to be really nice because he can maybe end up fighting into the rotation if he can figure out some of those walks. But if nothing else, you know you've got a nice, nasty lefty that you can utilize out of the bullpen. Low arm slot, so he's kind of gone to the slider over that spike curveball now that works a little better for him. And as I said, he told me this, but the changeup was just dominant this past season. You mentioned the fastball is not overpowering. It's low 90s. You know, I think he's 92, 93 a lot. He can run it up, you know, 94, 95, but... You know, 91 to 93 and uh, getting to watch him a lot just last year on the the Milbap on on TV, you know, in double A. Uh, he was dominant at a level where if, if you can pitch in double A, you can pitch in the big leagues. Now, there's a lot of caveats to that, obviously, but you're facing some pretty talented, good competition. My guess is he'll be in triple A to start the season and we'll see him uh, fairly early into before the midway point of this year in, in some capacity with the nationals. Uh, the next guy to talk about is Cole Henry. Henry, we've had on the podcast a couple times, a friend of the program. Of course, he was one of the great pitchers in minor league baseball statistically before he started suffering some major arm injuries. Now he's 24 years old. He's a right-handed pitcher. Last season, he came back from thoracic outlet, pitched in Fredericksburg, Wilmington, and eventually 10 games in Harrisburg, got hit around a little bit and struggled with his control and command, uh, which happens after you come back from a serious surgery and some arm problems. Uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing him settle back in. I mean, this is a guy that, remember, before he got hurt in 2022, had a 170 RA and had given up 14 hits in 31 innings before that injury. Uh, they still obviously have high hopes for him. He's another guy, and there's a bunch like this in their system, Toby, where you know, he profiles as a legitimate starter, but now there there is a red flag, so to speak, where you worry if maybe he ends up in the pen. You know, in his case, it's just durability, uh, the, you know, trying to keep him healthy. Uh, the fact that he's left starts now, even post coming back from thoracic outlet with some issues. So there's obvious concern, but them keeping him on the 40 man and protecting him tells you that they still believe he's going to be able to help them in the major leagues for a long time to come. Yeah, it's a shame because, like you pointed out, he was spectacular before he had to have surgery for thoracic outlet. And so now it's more so just about getting back to that health, I think, than anything, because before that he was dominant. And so I don't know that he's going to end up being a starter. You know, you wish in the Nationals organization there were some more bona fide 
legit number two, number three type starters. There really aren't as many as you'd like. But at the same point, you've got some guys that hopefully one or two of them that project maybe as a fringe bullpen starter guy can end up being starters for you. I mean, look at a guy like a Jake Irvin last year and what he was able to do. So I think for Cole Henry, the main thing is if he can get back to full health and kind of work on that and then get back to some sort of that form that he had before, you know, it'd be great if he could be a starter. I just don't know that that's in the cards after having that surgery. But even if he can just be a good to dominant reliever, that'd be nice. So I think he's got the stuff to do it. It'll be interesting to see. But the main thing for him is that health. Yeah. And what's fun about the guys they protected, and I guess it makes sense, right? Because if you're getting protected and added to the 40 man, it means you're closer to the big leagues. But you're going to see hers in D.C. this year. You're going to see Henry in D.C. this year. And you're going to see the next guy we're talking about in D.C. this year, Mitchell Parker, who is their number 25 overall prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. I actually would have him ranked a little higher than that. I've felt like he was slept on for a little while, but he's huge. He's 6'4", 224, kind of some Jake Irvin to his game, to be honest with you in that way. Like he's a big bodied guy who's produced in the minor leagues without a lot of fanfare. Um, 24 year old lefty, average fastball, pretty good curveball, probably a tick above average. Um, third pitch is a change up. This past season, he proved himself durable for the second straight year. He pitched in 100 innings in 2022 and 125 innings this year, which in the minor leagues are, are pretty legit totals for a prospect. Uh, he had just 115 hits given up in 124 innings. He does not get hit that hard. His hits per nine, his batting average against are normally very solid in his career, 237. Again, though, the story with him is walks. And he was better this year, to his credit. He walked 67 in 100 innings last year and just 61 in 124 innings this year. But that walk rate, while last year it was like awful, this year was just kind of normal concerning or like not awful, but maybe what I would say is bad. Uh, you, you want him to throw more strikes if he's going to be a starter. But he's another one of these guys. The reason he's not a higher-end prospect, he's not a top 10 or so guy in the system with his stuff and production and the inability to hit him, is that he walks too many guys. You know, if he threw strikes, he would have been in the big leagues last year. If he consistently threw the ball over the plate, I think he would have logged a couple dozen innings for the Nationals, perhaps. But they're trying to get him to continue. And I think he's gotten better and better in that area. Mike Rizzo's talked about that publicly. Um, the walk rate had gone from uh, 8.4% in 2021 to 15.4% mm. in 2022, which was insane. Uh, it obviously came back down, which was really good to see. But uh, they protected him. Not a surprise. That was a lock, I thought, because he, he has a chance to really be a helpful pitcher for them. Yeah, and I mean, 2022, like you said, the walks were high, but the batting average against was 208. It went back up to 244. But this year, a strikeouts of 150 and 132 innings or 124 innings, sorry. So, yeah, I mean, he's got stuff. It's just... It seems like we talk about this with so many Nationals pitchers. Can they get the walks in order? I mean, th I think that's the main thing for a lot of guys. Like, if they can figure out a way to just limit the walks or at least make it just so it's an acceptable rate, then you've got lots of talent in the minor leagues with these pitchers. It's just so many of these guys have a walk rate that is unsustainable in Major League Baseball to be an effective pitcher. It's just about figuring out ways to do it. But, you know, I'm going to take a guy – that has that type of a stuff that you see with Mitchell Parker. I'm going to take a guy with that kind of stuff and hope that I can figure things out over a guy that just doesn't necessarily have it. You know, I, I think he's got the goods. It's just about development. And 
again, this is why it's so important to have guys in the minor leagues that can develop these guys. And I think, you know, hopefully you see him up in the majors soon and contributing. Do you think he's someone that could stick as a starter? I mean, you're looking at the Nationals rotation right now and, you know, obviously Gore and Gray and uh, Irvin and possibly Rutledge and Cavalli. Like you're, you're kind of running out of spots, but at the same point, it's not like some of these guys are locked in. Like if Jake Irvin comes out and struggles next year a little bit and someone's having a spectacular time in the minor leagues, maybe you could come up and have someone try out as a starter. Do you think Mitchell Parker or one of these guys could come up and maybe take a starting spot next year? Yeah, I do. I mean, out of camp, you're saying, or just in general? Just at some point during the season. Yeah, for sure. 100%. Absolutely. I mean, you saw what Jake, you you mentioned it a few minutes ago. You saw what Jake Irvin did this year. Like, if you would have, it, it to me, it, it's the same as asking last offseason, could Jake Irvin end up starting some, like, he ended up being a member of the rotation pretty much the whole year and exceeding a lot of expectations, right? So, no doubt about it. I mean, you you have these guys continue to start until they prove that they can't. Eventually, they might fall into a bullpen role at the major league level. But, yeah, I would bet against them making uh, the team out of camp. Yeah. I don't think any of them have a chance to start out of spring training. I think that'd be stunning and, frankly, pretty odd and weird to do that. Um, even though one of the, the spots that we presumably Cade Cavalli's is going to be open because, you know, you'd think you'd bring him back slowly at the beginning of the year. But, yeah, I think as the year goes on, you're definitely going to see each of these guys. And I think if you're asking me, will they make starts? You know, the only guy I could see, and I'm completely speculating, like I I hope Cole Henry's a starter at the beginning of the year. But if they just feel like the best way to keep him healthy and control the arm is to, to make him a reliever or something, I could see that. But the other two are going to be starters and are going to get a chance to maybe pitch in the AAA rotation right away. And now you're a phone call away. Uh, one other guy we should talk about added to the 40-man roster. I love this guy, and we never really talk about him on the show because he was out all of last year, kind of forgotten man, is Zach Brixey. Uh, Brixey, that's how you say his name. It's spelled B-R-Z-Y-K-C-Y. So it looks like (laughs) Brisditch. I I don't even know how you would pronounce that based on what it looks like. But it's Zach Brixey. So a quick kind of backstory on him would be He went undrafted in 2020. Remember, though, that was the COVID year. So it was only a five-round draft. Uh, He was awesome in the Cape Cod League before the draft. Had like seven saves, pitched 10 times, was lights out. It's a Virginia Tech product. Doesn't get picked. The Nats like him. They pay him 20K. They tell him to come to Washington System. He does. He immediately uh, struggled for like a couple weeks and then locked it in and has become pretty much lights out over the last couple of years. Like one of the best relief pitching prospects, not only in their system, number one, but uh, for a lot of teams, I would say. Uh, If you look at just the results and the numbers, he had Tommy John surgery in April, so he's not going to debut until later in the season, I would imagine. Um, But he comes back, started this year, let's say. You pitch him at double-A maybe for a cup of coffee and then triple-A where he's going to spend the bulk of his season. He'll also be in the majors. Listen to these numbers, Toby, in 2022. In 51 games, he had a 170 RA, 61 innings, 33 hits, 95 strikeouts. I I mean, I, I don't I don't know if I've seen that. 95 strikeouts and 33 hits. A 157 average against a, a, a 1.01 whip. 
51 games, man. He pitched 17 of them in A-plus, 32 of them in Harrisburg, and then he pitched twice in AAA and in an inning in two-thirds at a couple of Ks uh, and, and was on his way. And then, obviously, the, the injury and Tommy John. But I am a big fan of Brixies. He's a reliever only. This is not a starter. But he's going to be a good reliever for them. I just hope he gets all the way back from that injury. Yeah, interested to see if he can come back fully healthy. But, I mean, like you said, those 2022 numbers are nasty. And it's not like he did all of it at high A. Like, it was a majority at double A. I mean, if you just take out those numbers, it's just 32 games at double A. It's a 189 ERA, 38 innings. He comes in, strikes out 54, an average against of just 162, 105 whip. I mean, he was absolutely incredible that year. Now it's just about, again, coming back healthy. And we talked about that with a couple of these guys, but we'll see what he can do. I mean, plenty of people have come back from Tommy John, but it's not something that you can just scoff at. I mean, it still is a major recovery, especially for a pitcher. So I'm interested to see what he can do. But, I mean, this is someone that hopefully the Nationals can add to a bullpen that was horrendous this past season and give you at least a reliable reliever. Because, I mean, the important thing for the Nationals in the bullpen at this point I wouldn't say is top end talent because I think Finnegan was fine. I think Harvey's fine. It's about getting some depth. And so having a guy like a Brixie hopefully come up and help in the bullpen at some point will give you an extra guy that hopefully you can depend on in high leverage situations or just at least to have some extra guys you can depend on. Yeah, when they're ready to win again, maybe you go sp spend some good money on a closer or shut down back end arm. But for right now, to your point, you just need guys that can get outs, right? I mean, with what they're trying to do, Last season, this coming season, you just need a handful of guys that you can trust and not just have an A bullpen, but on those B days when people are tired, you know, you got two or three other guys that aren't going to let the game get away. Uh, by the way, one stat on Mitchell Parker from Kyle Brostowitz of Nats PR that I saw this week. Parker ranks among all qualified minor league pitchers uh, over the last few seasons. Uh, so this is, I think, dating back to 2021, just like the uh, DJ Hurst stat that I'd read from Kyle earlier. Parker since 2021, third in the minor leagues in strikeouts per nine, fifth in strikeouts total, an opponent batting average 11th at 237. So a nice track record of success for him uh, over the last couple of seasons as well. Uh, so that'll kind of be a wrap for the player conversation and the 40-man roster discussion. Uh, I guess I could just point out Andrew Lara, the guy that they didn't protect, who I said I wasn't necessarily surprised by, uh, but he was he's a 20-year-old who was pitching this year at A-plus ball, which tells you a lot. Now, he didn't fare great. Uh, he made 23 starts, pitched in 98 innings, only allowed 90 hits, but he doesn't strike anybody out this year. He had 66 Ks, which is odd, because last year at Fredericksburg, where I saw him a bunch, he was over a strikeout per inning. Um, walks, 34 walks, not necessarily problematic, um, but low strikeout rate. He almost need to walk nobody to make that work. Average against was 241. Um, it's a worthwhile project, in my opinion. He's 6'4". As I said, he's one of the bigger guys you'll see pitching in their system. He's got an above-average fastball and an average slider and working on his changeup. It's a Venezuelan kid who uh, they signed for over a million dollars in 2019 in uh, in the July signings. They, they really, really liked him. So it's painful, I'm sure, for them to have this guy now cracking the top 20 in the system and getting a little closer to the major leagues. He had a 3.89 ERA over seven starts in August and September going into uh, the end of the season where I think they probably felt like maybe he was turning a corner, but uh, you, you can't keep everybody, and these spots are limited, and, and he he just hasn't shown enough, I would say, to make you think 
he's on the same level or has the upside of like a hers or a Henry or even a Parker who's ranked behind him via MLB pipeline. Yeah, I mean, it stinks to have him at least eligible to be taken. I'd be interested to see what happens with that. But if you're the Nationals, you got to go with the other four guys. I mean, they're very close to the big leagues at that point and can help you pretty soon. And you just hope that everything works out and he can be back with the organization. Coaching staff changes since you and I last chatted on this podcast. The baby shark, Gerardo Parra, moves from the front office to first base. Ricky Gutierrez moves from run prevention coordinator. I don't even really know what that is. To Wouldn't third that base be pitching coach? coach? <laughs> <laughs> That's another way to say it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure. Look, I, I joke a little bit. I know everyone over there loves Gutierrez and has nothing but good things to say. Um, so I don't I don't have a problem with a big coaching staff. You, you see what just happened, you know, with a team that had a big coaching staff in the postseason and in um, you know, the Texas Rangers, but, uh, I, I just don't know what that is exactly. I thought he was helping a lot with like defense and infielding and, and things like that. Uh, but regardless, the Nats announced that their staff changes, uh, are complete. So, uh, they also added Miguel Cairo now as their bench coach, no more Tim Bogar sitting next to Davey, who's a longtime buddy of, of Davies. Uh, they go back many, many years. And how about Chris Johnson, the former Brave and rival of the Nats, is the assistant hitting coach now. That was an interesting name to see added to help out Darnell Coles. And Jim Hickey stays on as pitching coach, uh, strategy coach, and catching coach Henry Blanco. And Ricky Bonus will be their bullpen coach. Anything there you want to jump on? Uh, I mean, it's cool to see Gerardo Parra as a meaningful part of the organization. Like, you'd see him at the park last year, but he wasn't, you know, he'd be in the dugout, but you, you really didn't know what kind of role he was playing. I mean, he'd, he'd be out talking with guys, and, you know, when other teams would come into town with former teammates, he'd go over and say hi, but you kind of didn't know. Now you're going to have Gerardo Parra back with the organization in a meaningful role where you see him. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what the difference is in these base coaches. I mean, obviously – the big ones people are going to focus on Darnell Coles, Jim Hickey still back as the hitting and pitching coach. But I, I think overall, you know, Davey Martinez is still the manager, the hitting and coach and pitching coach are still the same. So I think a lot of it's just going to end up staying the same, but I, I don't think there's anything here that's wowing. You know, I don't think there's anything too crazy. Yeah. I think a lot is made of hitting and pitching coaches and it's probably at times, frankly, <clears throat> over discussed at the major league level, like when I talk to people around the sport and players, it's not to say that it's insignificant or unimportant, but I don't know that a hitting or pitching coach has the impact that people think. I think sometimes they think of it almost like an offensive or defensive coordinator in football. And it's just not that level of impact, in my opinion, at all. These guys are doing a lot of work on their own. The coaches are important. They can help you get out of a funk. They can uh, evaluate your swing and tell you what's wrong or your, your mechanics and tell you what's, what's not going well. I guess if I had my druthers, just me personally, if I was running the show, I would want probably a, a – my perception of Jim Hickey based on my conversations with him is that he's not a particularly analytical or forethinking pitching coach. He's more of an old-school guy, and the Nats have not had issues hiring and, and employing more of those old-school coaches. Um, that said, I, I would probably skew younger. I would be looking at, at some of the top pitching coaches and, and some of the top pitching programs in America at the college level. 
uh, guys who are a part of nice baseball factories, whether that's, you know, Wake Forest or anywhere else where they've got a, a nice pitching lab built and, and using all the analytics and numbers and, and machines, you know, that that's what I'd be looking to do. I got the sense at times last year, like Josiah Gray and even, um, you know, maybe uh, Jake Irvin, you know, who's also pretty into numbers. I don't know if they butt heads with Hickey, but I, I wonder what that relationship's like with those guys who are super forethinking and then Hickey who's more old school. So I would probably trend. Younger is not the word I'm looking for age-wise as much as just like fresher thinking yeah. and, and dabble into the college level, but they didn't do that. Um, not returning this year, interestingly, was Bogar as a bench coach. I wonder if he's just kind of ready to move on or if there's more to that. Uh, first base coach, Eric Young Jr., par, as you mentioned, replaces him. And then third base coach is always an important job, right? I mean, Ricky Gutierrez, who's a 53-year-old who was, the, I mentioned, the run prevention coordinator in the organization, five seasons in the Reds organization, spent time as a double-A and single-A manager, single-A bench coach, so he's been around. He's climbed the ladder, 12-year major league infielder, played for the Padres, Astros, Cubs, I think the then Indians, Mets, and Red Sox as well. Um, I'll be curious to see how he does. I, I thought third base decisions were a weakness at times last year, and I was actually glad to see them make a change there. Yeah, I mean, I thought some of the sends and various things were a little bit questionable. It wasn't as bad at times as the previous one, but it, it still wasn't great. So I think just shaking some things up, I think you're seeing this in the whole organization, whether it's in the minor leagues, obviously at the major league level, we're talking about here, but just little bits of shakeups. I don't think there's anything too crazy going on, but sometimes you just need some fresh sets of eyes and some new perspective to change things up. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of a difference it makes. And one other thing we should hit here before we get out on this episode of bust and loose baseball would be in the front office where there's been all kinds of changes and new faces coming into the organization. There was a promotion from within that I'm frankly a little bit excited about here. And I don't know exactly um, if the master plan all along was set in place that, you know, this is where they would end up at player development. But I like where they got to uh, Eddie Longos, who is the assistant GM, is now going to take on a role. Vice president, assistant general manager, player development. Uh, he's been in the organization for 14 years. A lot of the people that I've talked to, not only since this happened, but over the last several years in the building, have always talked about this guy as being something of like an unsung hero. Just a worker behind the scenes. Nobody knows his name. You know, he just kind of chops wood and uh, does all the little things that, is, that are asked of him. He was heavily involved in the draft process. Now, everyone says, oh, no, the draft process has been terrible. Well, he he wasn't making the picks. He was doing all of the work for the people that needed information to make the pick. So, hey, put together a you know a folder and a file on this guy. Hey, get us all the information on these things. And he's super organized. He, he would kind of coordinate and organize where the scouts were going, what games they were going to see making sure everyone got seen the right amount of times, like those types of things among his duties as he was climbing. He's actually a local guy, uh, Danny Ruye, uh, weirdly enough. My co-host on Grant and Danny, I think, coached him in high school baseball at one point at St. Albans, which is so hilarious and funny. And I always uh, tell Danny that 
You know, if he's doing well, I'm going to give uh, Eddie the credit. If he's doing badly, I'm going to blame Danny. <laughs> um, but he's assisted Rizzo on professional, amateur, international scouting things. He's been around. So I like that he's getting an opportunity. Uh, and uh, I'm curious to see how he does here. But I do think he is kind of what I was talking about with the pitching side of things. Like, he is a, a pretty analytical guy, I would imagine. This is, this is not a former longtime baseball player and grizzled scout, right? This is a, a young guy, a little older than me probably, or around my age in his 30s, upper 30s, I don't know, who, uh, you know, has been around baseball and studied it really closely and, and knows the game. And, and I think uh, I'm excited to see what he does. Yeah, I like the little bit of a shift. I think there's a nice marriage between the old school scouting and some of the analytics. And so I think you're seeing a little bit of some of that where Rizzo's obviously more so along the lines of the old school scout, but you bring over a guy from the Orioles to help with the draft. You promote Longos and some of the guys that are a little more new age. I think you have a nice little mix there where, you know, maybe Rizzo can find a couple of guys that, you know, along the old school scouting lines, but I think he wants to see the new way and see ways that, you know, they've struggled in drafts. Like we said, now you bring in some new information. So I think it's important how they're going about this, where they're kind of modernizing, I guess you could say the organization and trying to get up with the times a little bit. So it's kind of nice to see that they're making these moves. And it's also nice to have a guy that was in the organization that kind of understands how things go worked with Rizzo. So I'm excited to see what he can do, and it's really cool that a local guy that worked with Danny and was coached by Danny gets to be a big part of the organization for the Nationals. Yeah, and that's hiring Danny Haas as the vice president amateur scouting. Brad Selick, remember, senior director amateur scouting, comes over from the Orioles, who's going to help them a ton in actually putting their draft boards together. Um, so I'm I'm fired up about the direction things are headed Uh it, with some of the hirings and at least a, a fresh coat of paint here at some positions where it was needed. One other note, Jeff Passan reported just a couple days ago, he tweeted kind of out of nowhere. I was surprised by this, that the nationals are in the market for starting pitching and that he ex expects, I don't know that he used the word aggressive, but he said uh, he's expecting that the nationals uh, do as much as they can to try to add starting pitching this off season. What do you make of that? Yeah, it's interesting because like we were talking about, I mean, if you look at the starting rotation, maybe not coming out of spring training, but you think about going into the season, Cavalli's got a spot at some point, obviously Gray and Gore, Corbin's there as well. So then Jake Irvin, uh, maybe a Jackson Rutledge. I would like to see those guys. So if you're spending big on someone, I'm fine with that. If you want to bring in a top free agent thinking that. You know, maybe not this season you're looking at a playoff spot, but maybe next season or if everything goes well, maybe you can get in there this season. I'd be fine with it. But if you're just going to go sign another mid-tier starting pitcher, I don't know that this year is the time to do it because I would like to have a spot or two open. So, you know, if DJ Hers, like we were talking about earlier, is pitching really well and you want to get him into the rotation, get him some big league experience, I'd like that. Or Mitchell Parker. Like you've got some guys in the organization that I think deserve some looks at the major leagues at some point this year. And if it's just going to be clogged by another guy like a Trevor Williams from last year, or even someone that's a little bit better but isn't coming in and giving you ace-type stuff, I don't know that I love it. But at the same point, if they're going to be spending money and maybe this is someone that can be a number three type starter on a, a decent ball club and he can be around for a couple of seasons and next year they're looking at a playoff spot, then I, I guess I'd be fine with it because at least they're spending money. But at the same point, I don't know if this is the right time for that. Yeah, I think you're 
on it and I'm with you. I no reason to really say much else. I mean, if you're signing a high end helpful piece, I'm never going to be upset about that. What I liked about it is it's the first time we've seen anything like that in a couple of years, right? Where even the idea that they might be aggressive in trying to do something is kind of exciting. So I'm not expecting much. I think they'll do more than they did last off season when it felt like Mike Rizzo was told, Hey, here's 10 to $15 million, make it last. Uh, and I think they'll still not do enough to get any kind of major needle movement in terms of fan base excitement going into opening day. And this will be one more year as they kind of try to build this thing from the ground up within a la last season. They'll try to get as close to 500 as possible with the development of their young guys. And then next year is when they'll spend and really try to kick it into overdrive and, and try to go win baseball games. But all of this, of course, hinges on what happens with the ownership group. And uh, there's no update there. <laughs> Seemingly never going to be an update. Well, there. and you hope that with them watching the World Series and seeing the combination of the two teams that were there with the Diamondbacks having a lot of homegrown talent and making a couple trades and seeing what they were able to do. But then looking at the team that ultimately won, the Rangers have some guys that they had through their system, like Adolis Garcia, they ended up picking up and having develop. And, you know, you can consider him as part of their organization. I think you can look at Evan Carter. You know, they made some nice moves, but ultimately their big producers were money spent, right? Nathan Eovaldi, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, that's money spent. So, and the Nationals already have the blueprint that if they want to win a World Series, it's not something where everybody can come from in the organization. Max Scherzer was money spent. Patrick Corbin was spectacular in 19. That's money spent. So I think they understand that if they're going to win a World Series again, and look, as much as we like to bash the learners, they had just as much fun, if not more fun, in 2019 as we did, right? They, they actually got to see money from it as opposed to us. Like We spent the money to give them to have all the World Series gear. So they enjoyed it. I think they want that again, and maybe they're looking and seeing, you know what, this team is starting to go in the right direction. Maybe it's time we spend some money. And so you hope that after watching that World Series and seeing a guy like a Corey Seager that gets $300 million and wins World Series MVP because that's what he was paid to do, you hope that they look and say, well, maybe we should start looking at doing that. Maybe it's not the time yet, but hopefully it opens up the checkbooks if they remain the owners. He's Toby Altizer. I'm Grant Paulson. Our producer is Darius Dameron. This has been Bustin' Loose Baseball. We'll be back at it next week with another update on everything going on with your Washington Nationals.